She's going to read from her real Bible because she couldn't find it on her phone last time. Yeah, I did. I couldn't find it in my app. My app tried to update, and then I had to take like probably a three-minute pause to find the scripture that we were supposed to be referencing. It was great. Welcome, everybody, to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and today I am here with two of our pastors at Treach, Reverend Doug Meyer and whoop, Reverend whoop. Daniel Humbert. Did you just give me a whoop whoop? I did. I went whoop whoop. <laughs> Welcome. So on the Life Plus God podcast, what we're trying to do is answer the big uh faith and life questions and maybe not come up with an answer but just come up with more questions about our big faith and life questions and in the month of july we are focusing on weird stories of the bible we're having a little bit of fun and today's big question is how did noah's story end and this feels like something that you could easily flip to scripture and find out how it ended but before i read the scripture that tells us how Noah's story and pretend that you've never read this story before. How how would you have guessed that Noah's story ends before reading this scripture? Well, if I've not read the scripture, I don't know anything about Noah. No, this specific (laughs) play along with me. Okay. I'm I'm playful. Uh, I think he would have lived happily ever after as a, like a zookeeper. Like if I were like super non-Christian. A shipman, not a zookeeper. Well, he built a boat, but then he had all these dang animals on it. Like a St. Francis thing where yeah. he's just like, like he would happily have, ever after under like the, the rainbow caring for the animals. There'd be a rainbow over here to yeah. his left always when he looked out and just a lot of animals. And very quickly, I think he would have regrets because he didn't realize they were all going to multiply. And there'd be a lot of animal poo everywhere. How could they multiply? He killed a bunch of them when he got off the boat. You know what? <laughs> Yeah, you can be like but that today. But this is the fairy tale. So it's funny because <laughs> oh, okay. Noah's story is one of those stories that is just a staple in children's Sunday school it classes. It is. And, and by golly, we didn't learn this story in no, children's No, we love Noah's Ark. We love talking about the animals walking two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. Exactly. And we don't talk about how he sacrificed all the animals that's at the right. end. So that's another way the story ends. But today I'm going to read Genesis 9, 20 through 28. This is how Noah's story ends. Buckle so, up, children. So mm-hmm. let's read together. Parental advisory <laughs> suggested. Absolutely. Yeah. Send your kids out of the room. Starting with verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke up from his wine, I knew, and not me, I knew, and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. (laughs) So first of all, who wants to live that long? The end. I like the way it ended. (laughs) 
And he died. And he died. <laughs> I feel like every Bible story can end that way. And he died. And he died. Yeah. Well, some of them but, slept with their ancestors. He he died. He just died after a long time. Okay, so this is a lot of information. So my first question, why couldn't we have just ended with a happy rainbow? This mm. is crazy to me. This whole story is crazy to me. And once again, as we mentioned last week, there is just a cultural information gap here as to the significance of this passage. But I haven't found any third-party references. You know, I'm an expert Googler. I haven't found any third-party references that claim to have a full cultural understanding as to why this nakedness that Noah, uh, that his sons walked in on was so terrible. So I wanted to kind of pick y'all's Bible scholar brains. Um, what do you know about the nakedness? And does it maybe have an alternate meaning? Or was being naked like an e extreme sin that we don't understand today? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of things. So one is biblically, there are some things in the Levitical code that identify that you're not supposed to uncover the nakedness of your parents. I mean, there's a whole section, if you go to Leviticus 18, that I, I didn't count them all, but like there's there's about 10 different people in your lineage line that you're not supposed to uncover their nakedness. So in part, that's just right there. And then in uh, Deuteronomy, there's another one in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy that acknowledges the same thing. So part of it's just scriptural that we're not supposed to be doing this. Now, when you read that text in Genesis 9, Ham didn't uncover his father's uh, his father. His father did. He uncovered himself, right? Mm -hmm. What Ham did was see his nakedness. Yeah. So then you get into the cultural part, and this is typically... This is where it gets a little muddy. So even today in Arabic countries, um, we're not supposed to see women naked. It's why they wear hijabs and all kinds of garb, right? Never to see them publicly. And so you can imagine if that's still true today in many Arabic countries, it was clearly true, you know, 3,000 years ago. And so um, that's a part of that cultural thing. So a part of it just has to do with shame and nakedness, much like the original creation story, right? Adam and Eve are naked, and initially, no big deal. But then when we when we sort of eat from the fruit of the tree of the difference of knowledge of good and evil, then all of a sudden we're ashamed of our nakedness. So this is in the context of that. We're ashamed of our nakedness. And so that's the cultural reference is we're ashamed of our nakedness. And in particular, we're ashamed of our parents' nakedness. The muddiness comes in with... And I, I, I don't get this, but I, in, in a couple of the commentaries I read, it said when we uncover the nakedness of our father, or in this case, just see it, we're actually sort of seeing the nakedness of our mom, and that becomes the cultural taboo. So I don't, I don't fully understand it. <laughs> but. Well, and, and we've talked about in uh, past worship series, I think when we did um, the worship series on vulnerability, we looked at scripture in Genesis and uh, the Adam and Eve story, and we kind of equated nakedness to vulnerability. That's exactly right. Is mm -hmm. that yeah. like, is there an argument for that in this story of like, or do you think it is more literal of no, they literally saw him naked or is it that we saw him vulnerable? Well, so um, I think it's a little of both really, right? So it's this, I see my dad naked and Kelly, I don't know about you, but I, I saw my dad naked once or twice and it's a bit of an embarrassment, right? You don't, I don't really want to see that, right? But secondly, it is about vulnerability. That is to say, um, I'm fully exposed to you and 
you could do whatever you want to me. In fact, some long time ago scholars identified that it's possible that there was an incestuous thing and that this was referencing that incestuous thing. So whether it is or not, who knows? Yeah, right? I did see that, that it was like, uh, you know, some people make the assumption that the nakedness, like there was some sort of sodomy involved or things like that. And I'm just like, that feels like a huge leap where they get that? Yeah, it, it's yeah. a leap from verse 24 where Noah speaks back and says, look what you did to me. And some kind of reference, like there was some kind of act where, where it could literally just be what he did was he saw you naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote down in my comment, like today's brain of how I understand culture. I was trying to think about, you know, your explanation makes sense with like the Levitical understanding. And I guess we would need to make the assumption that Noah was familiar with Mm. Levitical law. Um, But I had some thoughts. I, I thought, oh, well, maybe it's about privacy, like that Ham violated Noah's privacy. He should have never gone into the tent. But maybe that is a modern day concept of like understanding. I it don't is. know. Was it privacy is. a thing? Yeah, you didn't get much privacy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean people, you're all living in a tent together. Yeah, you're living in a tent and often multiple generations living in a tent and sometimes even multiple families living. So, yeah, privacy wasn't a huge deal. No, as you you may recall from last time we when we talked about the the other text about Lot that um, uh, the the whole sense of of um, uh, privacy and um, sort of not recognizing something is um, it's just this man I've just lost my train of thought y'all I, it just went you know when you get old mm-hmm. I hate it you just lose your train of thought well, do you know anything naked. of this Doug no. Okay, good. I'm worthless right now. Because I kind of look at it all um, as metaphor or allegory. I don't think any of this really happened anyway. Mm. Oh, okay. Say more about that. <laughs> reveal yourself. Well, well, look how it turned out. Don't yeah. be... can't use the word reveal. You can't use the word reveal <laughs> right now. Cover your nakedness. Well, metaphorically. So, <laughs> please. You know, please, metaphorically. It feels to me like... Um, <clears throat> An add-on to the story, to your point earlier. So, you know, in 17, uh, or right there at 16 and 17, there's a rainbow. We have that little happy ending moment, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a story about um, Noah and the boys. And it, it just feels like to me it was a, well, we needed a hinge to figure out what happened to Noah and what happened to these characters, these brothers. And um, perhaps... You know, I, I'm intrigued with this notion that he, uh, so Noah began to be a farmer. Okay, so now, you know, we're, we're, we're creating a storyline of our, our buddy Noah, right? Well, he planted a vineyard. How cool is planting a vineyard, you know? Fertility, uh, produce, production, that, uh, and then he drank of the wine and was drunk. So already we go from a vineyard to wine. I mean, that's, that's what comes from a vineyard last time I checked. Well, it's pretty quick, though. And I mean, I, anyway. And so he got drunk. He passed out in a tent, and he was uncovered. And the boys walked in and saw him and were like, oh, my gosh, dad's in there naked. What are we going to do? Uh, Ham does. Yeah. Well, not, you're right. Not all three of them. There is a, an effort being made to, to delineate the difference between Ham and his brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And you're you're actually making the point that I lost in my head. See, so okay. see this. It was meant it to be, right? It all comes back around. It does, yeah. <laughs> one one elderly. You know, all right. Well, you grab it then. Elder. Well, so this goes back to the etiological stuff we talked about last time, which is uh, this is a story about how people or things or circumstances come to be. And in this case, where we'll end up eventually, of course, is this is what, how we understand the Canaanites and Ham's, you know, descendants. And so. It's never wrapped up in detail, so this is a part of what Doug is pointing out, right? There's, I mean, we go from boom, boom, boom all of a sudden, and then with the, there's no real um, concern about detail as our modern minds want to know. When we read a story like this, I mean, you've got a whole set of notes here that's all about what 21st century folks would be interested in, right? And they're not because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story isn't really even the nakedness. The point of the story isn't really even uh, what the what uh, Shem and Japheth do. It's it's how do we understand who these Canaanite people are, and that's why it's a quote unquote messy story or a weird story because it's about an etiological legend. How did they come to be? And so we're not going to have a lot of detail. Well, and that's why. So one of the things that we talked about last week with Lot, and I'll just have to fill you in, Doug, mm-hmm. is. Uh, the theory of historical agenda. Is this another example of a theory of historical agenda where we're trying to set up the enemies, the good guys and the bad guys here? And we're going to say, hey, this is the reason we don't like the Canaanites. They are cursed because of what Ham did. Um, And it's a flimsy story for us to say you're cursed for eternity and we don't like you Canaanites. But that's kind of how it feels is that that's the purpose is to say, we don't like these people. Yeah, and it, it makes more sense when you think of it as that etiological legend that sort of sets the whole thing up. the The dilemma is we get all caught up in, well, golly, how you know why was what, that so what, bad, and what, why, why is that wrong, and how you know how did those boys walk backwards with their deal? I mean, right? We get caught up in all of the detail, which is not wrong. It's not wrong to wonder. It's just that's not the point of the story. But I think that the reason that we wonder about that is because we are constantly trying to ask ourselves, what does this mean for me today? Exactly. And if we're just looking at uh, moving the the etymology, moving history along, then it doesn't mean anything to me today right. necessarily. Right. Um, but we like to reverse engineer it to yeah. say, okay, well, maybe it could mean this. And I did find a really interesting theory, not theory necessarily, but a way to take this scripture and make it apply today. That was interesting that they said one of the things they got out of this scripture is that Ham saw the nakedness of his father and then went and told his two brothers. Yeah, that, so he did not confront his father directly and have that conversation with him. And their argument is he triangulated. <laughs> he went out and he spread the shame. And if it was a, a Levitical law that you do not see the nakedness of your father, instead of keeping it to himself and protecting his father's vulnerability, he goes out and tells his brothers, which tell the town, which tell. So like, and that's it, a, yeah, that's a part of the wrongness. Yeah. Absolutely. So that is something that I'm like, okay, that applies to today. Cause we're all guilty at times of triangulating and not going directly to the person that yeah. we have an issue with. Well, yeah. and or uh, keeping family secrets. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, don't like, air your dirty laundry. Well, yeah, yeah and especially in, in pertaining to, um, you know, a lot of kids, especially kids of alcoholics or other dysfunctional parent habits, uh, aren't supposed to talk about what they have known or saw, seen their parents do outside of the house. 
And um, yeah, I will. And I've done a story real quick. Uh, best friend growing up in high school, uh, mother and father were both alcoholics. Frequently, uh, when we would go home after being out, running around, they would be passed out mm. on the living room floor. And I remember once I, we came in unexpecting to find that. Dad was passed out on the couch. Mom was couch, on, the sleep, on the floor passed out. And he said, please don't ever speak of this. Mm. Please don't ever speak of this. Yeah. Now, you know, in a way, we are naked when we are vulnerable, whether we are clothed or not. Right. Right. And so to walk in upon someone in an altered state, you might say they were, you know, they were naked because all of the, the results of their choices are what? They're right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is almost the opposite, though, right? Because uh, Ham, having seen his dad's nakedness, um, goes and blabs to his brothers, right? right? And, and it, it really is, it also gets back to honor thy father and mother, mm-hmm. right? That is, so I've seen my dad's nakedness. Number one, I'm not supposed to. But number two, rather than either sharing that with that, hey, gosh, dad, I saw that and shouldn't have, and I'm sorry, or whatever, he goes and blabs to his brothers. And then when his father wakes up and realizes, oh, golly, he has seen me, which is, by the way, another question, right? How did, how did Noah know that he was seen by this boy when, in fact, by the time he wakes up, he's covered because the other boys have, have mm-hmm. covered him up, right? So that's one of those detail things, right? That's like, that makes no sense, and yet... <laughs> It's just all a part of well, the eventual. Which also potentially right. means the other two brothers didn't tell him either. Maybe Correct. he found out from somebody else. But if that's the case, then they're just as much in the wrong right. for not right. addressing and, it directly. And so it, go, it all goes to this sort of etiological deal of the details are not the point. It's how we get to why are the Canaanites bad and why don't we like them and, and how is it we're going to conquer them eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so help me understand because even with all of this, for Noah's reaction to be like, curse Canaan. I'm like, wait a second. Canaan wasn't even in this story. Like Ham is your son. Ham's the one who had the transgression yep. against yep. you. Yep. And yet you turn around and you say, curse Canaan. Is there some sort of like a uh, cultural insight you can give us on like the significance of choosing to curse his son's son instead of his son directly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's at least two th- thoughts on that. One is, um, and the scholars are the ones who identify this first one, which is there was some redaction going on. And that uh, when you look at wherever the verse is, I've lost it, but um, that says, uh, Ham, the father of Canaan, that's verse 18, and then when it says it again, verse 22, 22. and Ham, the father of Canaan, that that's actually an addition. Ham is an addition in there, that it originally said Canaan. That's one theory. And so in that theory, it is, so some redactor came in, and because Ham is mentioned in the previous verse, but he's not in the curse and he's not in the description, then we need to add him in. So that's one thought. The other is sort of that biblical concept of the sins of the father, um, I forget how the rest of it goes, but basically the sins of the father fall on the multiple descendants. And so that's how you might get that is if Ham is the one who did the problem, then he's the father of Canaan and it's his sin that causes the curse uh, for the rest of them. I feel like a curse in perpetuity still feels like a little much. Well, so again, <laughs> it, logically, yes, absolutely. And certainly in modern times, absolutely. But in a biblical story that whose purpose is about this, how do the, why are these Canaanites bad? Well, they're bad because there's this multiple generation of cursedness that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to shift a little bit because, Doug, you brought up uh, alcoholism. And 
I think that a lot of the story is emphasizing the nakedness, but we're not really emphasizing the drunkenness. And I, I'm wondering is if we were to take a modern day lens and read the story uh, through the lens of substance abuse, does mm. that change the way that you read it? Does that change the way that you um, understand Noah? If we were to think, oh, maybe, maybe Noah I I think developed that might be a alcoholism. Little, well, I don't know. I think that's a little, a little heavy handed on Noah, to be honest with you. I mean, all we know is he drank a lot of wine and he fell asleep. Who hadn't? Um, well, well, and it's not even that he drinks a lot. I, I personally, no, you're right. He drank of the wine. Yeah. Personally, I think. Oh, it does say some. He drank some of the wine. Yeah. And so this is the first vineyard. This is the first wine, essentially, right? I mean, at least the way the story goes. And yeah. so if indeed that's, it's the first time to drink. So he, he might have thought he it was like no apple clue juice. what the cons, right? How it's yeah. going to have impact or effect on him. And so it really is a stretch for anybody, for instance, to use this passage in particular to say, number one, drinking's wrong, because that's not really identified here at all. And number two, that somehow he's a quote unquote drunk. He did get drunk, mm -hmm. but it appears, at least the way I read the story, he's drunk simply because he's never had wine before. Yeah. And I guess I was thinking of it in terms of like, I have seen, there have been people who are angry drunks and I've seen them lash out in sure. really over the top ways. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what Noah did. But it was the next day he would have been sober, putting a curse on you for the, all of your descendants. Yeah, so. but I mean, there is some playfulness in that. And I don't really think this happened, but it would make a great play if, uh, if really what he was acting out was his shame from what had happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because in our shame, then, of having made not our best choice, we um, take our uh, anger, frustration, or embarrassment and funnel it yeah. towards anybody within reach, right, right. of our yeah. hands or voice. And so, you know, off with you, you know, just... That's but, what I was thinking of is, like, it is embarrassment and defensiveness and all of those things is, like what I see when I see Noah's reaction. Yeah. But you know what? I, I kind of, like, I'm team Noah in this, in that um, it, it feels like to me, so Noah, uh, in so many other ways, is, is kind of the fairy tale heroic person in all of this, right? Prior to this? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I like the fact that, uh, hey, Noah can sin just like me, or Noah mm -hmm. can make bad choices. There you go. You know, or Noah can do those things. Uh, you know, I, I kind of relate to little Noah there. And, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why I kind of have a heart for Noah in this case. I want to cut him a lot of slack and go, hey, guys, when your dad passes out, no, don't go in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's just funny because it's, it's, it's sort of the second um, creation story, right? I mean, the first one is Adam and Eve, if you will. That's technically mm -hmm. the second one. But, I mean, um, the, the concept is... We've had the flood. Everything's been wiped out except those on the ship, on the boat, right, on the ark. And now we're starting over yet again. And what's fascinating is it's only two more chapters later that we get Babel where we yet again screw it up. I mean, it's like Genesis in the first uh, 11 chapters is full of these people who, man, God gives them a second chance. They screw it up. Then we recreate. And then God gives them a second chance. Then we screw it up. And then we re God recreates. <laughs> And that's the beauty of the book of Genesis is it keeps telling us that, number one, God has this capacity, and number two, God has this graciousness. I mean, it's a story of grace over and over again, even though this is a weird story, um, uh, and not this component is not about the grace. 
um, this story is sort of the, man, the world is still messed up and the world still has chaos and, and there's still stuff that's not going right. That's a part of what this story means. I was kind of sitting here wondering with like the crazy weirdness of this story. And like I said at the beginning, how popular this story is in children's circles. Is there a way to tell the true story of Noah's Ark to kids? Oh, wow. In a productive way that helps their faith as opposed to just like traumatizing them? Yeah. I, you know, in terms of age appropriate, I don't, so, uh, you know, depending on how young the kid is, I'm just thinking out loud here, right? Yeah. So, um, I did not prep you for this yeah, question. Yeah. So I wonder what it would look like, for instance, to identify out of this story for children. I don't know that you'd use the drunkenness so much, but um, sort of dad waking up and, and really sort of castigating his child and while, why that child becomes a bully at school. Mm. And that bully um, really causes problems for lots of different kids. And it's all because his dad cursed him or cussed him or, you know, some, right, some other analogy. That might be a way to talk about this, right? Could, I don't know. Could you also talk about um, all of us, no matter how we are known, can make mistakes, mm-hmm. can make bad choices, you know, and talk about how, you know, gosh, kids, I bet without, you know, going into deep detail about, you know, everything they think about Noah, we assume is what? Wonderful, and he was great, and he what, saved a, what a rescuer, right? And yeah, yeah, saved all the animals. He saved Kids all the animals. So the animals. guy that saved all the animals, um, it would be interesting just to do a little random, like, hey, where'd he go? Whatever happened to him? And then to tell the story about, well, you know what? Even he made some really bad choices and mm-hmm. got really angry at his kids. Your dad ever make really? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I was debating whether or not it could include the nakedness, but I think it could, right? Because, again, if a if a kid walks in on a parent naked getting ready for the shower or just getting dressed for the day, and you're just not ready for it, right? And all, so you yell at him or call him out or whatever and just say, hey, not now or whatever. Does your parent ever get mad at you when you try and bust in on them going to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be yeah, the yeah. most relatable You know one. why your mama yeah. keeps the bathroom door locked when yeah. she yeah. <laughs> exactly. you out? And has the cookies and a cigarette. Oh, no. There's a, yeah. Well, and even just to talk about vulnerability and how um, we as children of parents kind of grow into understanding the humanity of our parents. And for the longest time, for a long time, I think parents protect their kids from that or don't want them to know or see how, man, yeah, I've got a story too. Mm-hmm. And so for, you know, because most of us, without, with some exception, grow up thinking most of our parents were heroes or did never made a bad choice or a mistake. I think that's really helpful. At, a, at the right age, I don't know what that is, maybe kindergarten, first, second grade, man, daddy really loses his cool sometime. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember I had a lot of just anger issues when my kids were really little, and I learned to go back in, and it was hard, because I think, I don't think my dad ever apologized for losing his cool. Never, mine I didn't. Uh-uh. And so I, and it was hard. I remember it, a lot of therapy on the strength of being able to perceive that it was uh, strong to say, dad made a bad choice. Right, dad yeah, used a bad yeah. word. I'm really sorry. Because uh, I had this perception that that was a, a outward sign of weakness. Yeah. And indeed, my therapist helped me understand, no, that really is real strength to be able to present yourself as, 
you know, weak, if you would, or have you made a bad choice in front of your kids? Well, yeah. by, by golly, that's the Jesus story too, right? Jesus says, be humble. And that's a part of humility is this whole acknowledgement that I've, I've, I've messed up, right? And so I think, again, back to the analogy for modern day time is that impact of what our parents might do, we as parents or our parents or whoever, could have long-standing effects about, in, you know, we talk about a dysfunctional family or the ways that those family systems have generational impact. That's a part of what this is pointing out. It would be an interesting curriculum, maybe even like in a, a family systems or family weekend at a recovery center, hmm. <laughs> you know, to talk about this and to talk about when and how and where and, and, and all the different dynamics. It's almost like the story mm-hmm. of the Good Samaritan where we kind of oftentimes when the story of the Good Samaritan is taught or even the prodigal son, we're talking about, okay, which character are we in the story at different points in our life? Sometimes I'm the father. Sometimes I'm the jealous brother. Sometimes I'm the lost son whatever it is. And I feel like in this story, there are some pretty clear character roles of like, okay, who am I? Am I Noah? Did I lose my cool? Am I Ham? Am I the two brothers? Am I like the innocent grandchild who's now cursed for eternity? (laughs) Like, which one do I feel like? Yeah. (laughs) Well, and having said that, you know, we we haven't talked much about, you know, Shem and Japheth, right? And Mm -hmm. kind of the way they tried to cover their tracks or cover Ham's tracks, right? And um, they were trying to be the quote-unquote good kids, right? They were trying to um, make sure this was all quote-unquote made right. And and we've all got kids like that or no kids like that, right, who um, want to do, be the right kid, if you will. Well, and I, I do want to bring up, shifting a little bit, um, you mentioned earlier that uh, it's inappropriate for this verse to be used to say that drinking is sinful or things like that. And it has been used in that way. And I think that it is important for us to point out the ways that scripture has been mm-hmm. misused. And there is a really dark story behind this scripture that has been uncovered over time. Yep. And uh, I've read multiple sources one of the ones that, that I'll cite today is the book, uh, The Curse of Ham, Race and Slavery and Early Judaism, Christianity and Islam by David M. Goldenberg. Um, many people claim that this was one of the Bible verses used by Christian slavers to justify slavery by claiming that Africans descended from Ham and they are cursed to be slaves by God. And we see over and over again in history when we're looking at uh, slavery that people use the Bible to justify that action. And I just felt like I would be doing this conversation a disservice if I did not bring up the darkness that can sometimes come out of scripture when we uh, manipulate it for our own agenda. Um, And it's just, I don't have any thing to put around that, except it's something that I had to sit in for a little bit as I was reading this scripture to think of uh, this, these 10 verses or eight verses, how much horror has come out yes. of them if yeah. people said this justifies slavery. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, thank you for bringing it up because it's real important. I, I was a, a I was an adult. I can't tell you when, but probably in my mid to late twenties when I heard that offered up for the very first time, and I was shocked that anybody would 
take that text, as weird as it is, right, and say that that's the justification people use for slavery. I've had conversations since then with within the last um, seven or eight years with modern people who, who point back to this to say this is why African Americans are insufficient because they trace it back to Ham. And I'm like, you have no, you have no way to prove that, number one. You have the, how, how incomprehensible that you would make that analogy. Ibrahim Kendi, in his book, Stamp from the Beginning, um, has, a, has a great section in, in his book with regard to this, and that there was quite an extensive use of this passage to do that very thing in America. And uh, it's disgusting, right? It's heartbreaking. It's, um, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just, it's, I always want to be on my guard and aware of how scripture is being used. And and just as a reminder, uh, we worship a God of expansive love and not a God of narrowing love and narrowing margins. And so um, if, if anyone is interpreting scripture in a way that is not expanding love, mm. I would guess it's a misinterpretation and a misuse. And I just want to emphasize that idea is nonsense. Right. It is completely unfounded. It yep. is false. That's right. Uh, absolutely. And, and while it is true that uh, slavery is both identified and even sort of lauded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's one of those uh, concepts that we look at Scripture and go, in the expansive love of God, we recognize that any form of enslavement, whether it's modern-day human trafficking of labor or sex trade or whatever, and certainly including the former uh, slavery in this country— uh, we have to say that is not what God intended. That is not what God desires. And even though it is in Scripture, we have to say, man, that's something that we no longer can adhere to. We no longer can abide by. We no longer can accept in whatever form. Because when we've had conversations around other Scripture texts that we might say the same thing about, i.e. women in ministry or women in leadership, and we currently say, golly, that that we, we, we would not say that we can't have women in leadership anymore, even though there are portions of Scripture that say that. Um, someone will bring up, uh, when I use slavery as that example, well, yeah, but biblical slavery was very different. And I literally <laughs> laugh at them and say, oh, so some form of slavery, no matter what that form is, all right? And of course, there's no response from them on that. But it's like, well, that was a different form of slavery. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I, it, it's it's insane. Um, but I, I noted that when I hear scripture like this, it makes me want to grab a pair of scissors and just mm. cut it out and sure. and never revisit it again when I hear that it's used this way because... Uh, well, but it's not the scripture itself that's used that way. It's the person using it. The right? manipulator of the text. Uh, right. Yeah. And so that's where I... Because I, you know, I, I too get angry or upset or bent out of shape over that. And then I have to remember... Well, it's not the scripture that's wrong or at fault. It's our. It's the rendering of that scripture. It's the way somebody's trying to use that scripture. I yeah. think it's a good uh, opportunity to remind people that if it sounds wrong, if it sounds illogical, um, trust your gut. If you're in a setting where someone says what well, says in the Bible, mm-hmm. and if that feels wrong. Um, Use your intellect. Mm-hmm. Call upon others. Read that. Go back into trying to find, you know, there is enough history now about all of this that a person could uh, take a little bit of effort with the Internet today and find out the roots of that. Yeah. It, I, 
I think it's a lot easier said than done, though, because there are people who are good at rationalizing sure. illogical concepts yeah, no, and yeah. help and make you nod along to something that like is just insane. Well, no, that's true. <laughs> and especially if you have a predisposition, perhaps, to be in agreement or you don't have a disposition to uh, challenge that person's authority, which a whole lot of folks in church settings are uh, uh, overtly, not, that's not the right word, uh, unhealthfully trusting. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're, what you're saying is this is an invitation to challenge Daniel and Doug with Absolutely. everything. Come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> yeah. Push back. Especially Daniel. Because yeah. yeah. y'all don't get enough people pushing back on you, that's I right. think. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so if we're looking at the grand arc of scripture, where do these eight verses fit in with the story of, of God's Mm -hmm. people? Where is this taking us? Well, so again, as a part of the book of Genesis, it's trying to help us better understand how did we come to be? And uh, even though it's speaking about a specific group of people, the Canaanites, it begins to identify why is it that we have groups of people that are at odds? Why is it that we have groups of people who can't seem to uh, work things out? Or why is it that we have people who just simply want to conquer others, right? So and for me, that's what I look at in the book of Genesis, is I find these stories over and over again that really describe, as you use this, this great phrase, the grand arc of Scripture. This is one of those contexts of Scripture that help us better identify who we are as human beings and how it is we sometimes relate. And guess what it tells us? We're messy people. We screw things up from time to time, uh, and we often get it wrong. I've heard yeah. these sometimes called hinge stories. I think that's the right phrase, where it takes, uh, you know, imagine uh, a writer having story and having to transition from this to this, that there are in the flow moments that are like biblical pivots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if this is true, and then that's true. I need to get you from here to there, right? And the whole, that, in that arc, you know, if you looked at the engineering of the arc, I don't think it's a straight, I don't, a perfect bow. I think it kind of goes loop de loop, some loop de loops in there. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think in 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 uh, you know, if I step way far back away from it, which I think is is kind of one of the fascinating things to do about the arc of the story is, uh, it is better appreciated, in my opinion further away. If I get up really close, then I want to know, well, what kind of wine was it? I hope it wasn't Sauvignon Blanc. I know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Can't the forest for the trees. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, and I do want to ask, this is kind of tacked on to the end here. So we go through this whole crazy story. And then it says, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Uh, That's the last two sentences. And I just wanted to know, we hear so many stories of people living 300, 400, 900, Methuselah, like all of these things in scripture. I don't believe that people were actually living 300, 500 years. Right. Is there significance behind like those ages that are being put into writing? Does it mean something different that we don't understand today? All they're trying to do again in a pre-scientific age right, is identifying that he was an old man. Mm -hmm. That's all they're saying. Much like when we look at the number 40, 40 years in the wilderness or 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus, it's not a literal time frame. It's a long period. And so that's all this is trying to say. 
Okay. The only thing I, I guess I've also heard, or I've made up, older, wiser. You know, that in some cases, when the number is just off the Richter scale ridiculous, it was a writing style to emphasize, you know, length of time. And with time, with age came wisdom, right? So he must have been really old and really what? Yeah. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it is. There's nothing to any of those numbers with regard to age other than to say they lived a long time or were wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's about all I have. I think we need. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's about all I have patience for go ahead, today. Go ahead and edit that last little part out. <laughs> no, but thank you all so much for having another weird conversation. We're going to do this again next week Yay. with, uh, hey, Reverend Gracie Millard. This hey, is going to be her Ooh, first boom. podcast with us, and it's a doozy. So to go. Be she's gentle. Be, be yeah. kind. So uh, we will see you next week, and uh, hey, come stop by the church on a Sunday morning and hear some more weird stories come from on. the Bible. Amen. Uh, we'll see you then. Take care. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.